when you see someone doing something at a high level where there's no major genetic component to it, all, you know, it's like, why can't I do that? And you just realize that anyone that has gotten to a high level at anything, it's generally compounding consistencies. They've spent 10,000 plus hours doing that. They put blinders on, they said no to a lot of distractions and they focused on one thing at a time and that got them to where they were. That really is what triathlon ultimately taught me getting to the Ironman World Championships is I can be world-class at something. I can be world-class at almost anything. I just have to spend five years dedicating myself to doing that. Like focus on one thing at a time and to specialize in a certain niche and to be memorable within that niche. Do my recovery routine, get eight plus hours of sleep, eat single ingredient foods, and you're probably gonna have a pretty amazing life as long as you don't get hit by a car or you know all of these other things that can happen in life, some rare disease. All of these things are risks that all of us face that we don't have a ton of control over. So yeah, from a general well-being standpoint, being world-class for too long at anything is not going to serve you well for longevity. This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. Welcome back, everyone, to Decentralized Radio, here live in Austin with Eric Hinman. Eric, how's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, I appreciate it. I've been following your content more in the past few months online, and it really just gives me energy, gives me life. I mean, and meeting you last night, I was like, this guy's just high energy. Like, I, I love it. I, it's contagious, really. I appreciate those kind words. How fun was that pickleball tournament last night? Yeah, I, I wasn't there for a long time, but I played a few games, and it was, it was People are really good at pickleball. It's like uh, disgusting, actually, how good they are. <laughs> it's crazy how fast it's, it's exploded. It's just one of those sports where you're combining some skill with you can get into it fairly easily without having yeah. played tennis or ping pong or some kind of racket sport, pick it up pretty fast. And then you have the community component to it where there's other people there, you're having conversations, you're fist bumping. So I love those forms of fitness where community aspect, you're getting your heart rate elevated. There's a skill component to it. So you have to be completely present while you're playing. And, you know, the flow state from that afterwards is tremendous. I think that's why it's becoming so sticky. Yeah, I agree. I think the barrier to entry is a little bit low. I played tennis in high school and it, it it's pretty hard to like keep a rally. Like I couldn't even keep a rally right now if I went and played tennis. It's been so long. But pickleball, I could just pick it up and, you know, have a good time. I don't have to play regularly, but you just mentioned a lot of good points and yeah, the community aspect from just watching a lot of your content seems to be a huge part of kind of your, your mission, your virtues that you stand for. Has this been like a more recent discovery or have you kind of been nailing this hard for a few years? Like, I know you had a big transformation obviously in your thirties and you're carrying that into your forties, but talk a little bit about how you feel the importance of community in just overall health and wellness. So I grew up an only child in a really small town, Pulaski, New York, on Lake Ontario. And I had friends over to my parents' house every single day to play ping pong, to play basketball. So I think at an early age, I realized how important having close friends were to me. 
and then went off to college. I played team sports as well. I played basketball, football. I ran cross country. I ran track. So I was always around people doing things that were uncomfortable in the moment. And then, you know, you kind of bond afterwards. So went off to college through massive parties and I loved leaving people with this memory and this experience. And I also loved watching people form friendships from something that I cultivated. So that's carried over to now where it's very much based around wellness the last 15 years. It started with triathlon and just training with people in triathlon and putting together big bike rides and big runs. And now, you know, our homes are set up as these community social wellness houses where we have saunas and cold plunges and our backyard in Denver is a full gym. And I love meeting new people through fitness, but I also love connecting people. I love having this environment where I know their endorphins are going to be racing and they can form fast friendships. And it's really enjoyable for me to see these different friendships that are cultivated from people coming to our various places. Yeah, I mean, I love it. It's something I've, you know, missed. Uh, I was a college athlete as well. And I think just grinding together with people, you know, you're suffering together and then you kind of bear the fruit from that together. It's it's just a meaningful experience. It's something that I've missed kind of in the adult life a little bit. Um, also just didn't play sports for as much after I graduated. And I think that, as you mentioned, with like the pickleball is, is huge, right? It, and if you can have fun while you're exercising, you know, that's, you're, you're killing two birds with one stone and really just, you know, having a good time. I feel like the problem with so many people, is they feel like working out and exercising is a chore. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how do we get more people to kind of re-embrace or embrace this type of culture living? I mean, there's some crazy statistics out there that if you're over the age of 30, like 95% of adults won't like sprint ever again in their mm -hmm. life. You know, I don't even know if those numbers are right, but it's mm -hmm. something like that. This podcast is brought to you by our lead sponsor, EMR Tech. EMR Tech manufactures high-quality, high-powered red light therapy devices. In my opinion, red and infrared light are two of the biggest nutrient deficiencies in our modern society due to our indoor lifestyles. Red light therapy devices like the ones from EMR Tech can help combat that by providing high-powered red light while being indoors. I personally use mine every morning and every evening. Red and near-infrared light is extremely beneficial for energy production in our body because it boosts mitochondrial function and penetrates deep into the cell. It is also extremely beneficial for skin health, eye health, as well as our circadian rhythms. And this is actually pretty much why I bought everyone in my family an EMR Tech red light therapy device for Christmas. EMR Tech panels are low flicker, low EMF, and use targeted wavelengths such as 830 and 630 nanometers, amongst others, to get extremely effective results. For more information, go to emrtech.com and use our code DRADIO10 for 10% off your order. That's emrtek.com with our code DRADIO, D-R-A-D-I-O, 10 to save at checkout. You know, how do we get more people on board? Yeah, I've seen that same statistic. That's crazy. I, I think that as we age, we accumulate these glass balls that we can't drop, you know, family and a career. And I get it 100%. But I think there's ways, even if you have those things, to incorporate wellness back into your life. And it's just being mindful. It's, I had a number of people come out to my place this past year, founders of consumer brands who, you know, from the outside looking at them, they have it all. They have rapidly growing businesses and families and, you know, they seem very happy. And I think they are for the most part, but several of them 
came, came to me afterwards and said, damn, I didn't realize how much I needed just like bonding with the guys, you know, just like hitting that workout in your backyard and doing a sauna session from that. I'm going to start this guys group back in, you know, upstate New York, where I get the guys together every week because I'm just working on my business and spending time with my family, which is great. But I think we also crave that those bonds with other like-minded people. So I, I you know, I loved hearing that. And that's so much of, of why I love bringing people together just so, you know, it's a reminder that, you know, we need strong friendships. And I think wellness shouldn't be looked at as a checklist item. Them, you know, find things that you truly enjoy. Like I'm not in some gym with headphones on just slogging away on a treadmill. Like even though my workouts are hard and in the moment, sure, sometimes they don't feel all that great. I, I truly enjoy it. Like I look forward to it every morning. I look forward to coming here to squatch or going to on it and training with the people that are there because I know a, you know, afterwards I'm going to feel absolutely amazing and I'm likely going to, you know, spend time with people I want to be around and opportunities come from that when you're just surrounded by like-minded people. So finding things that aren't checklist items are crucial and also like things that fit in well with your routine. Like if you have to drive an hour to the gym every day, that's probably not going to be sustainable. But you know, if there's a pickleball club four minutes from your house and you enjoy pickleball, then do that regularly. You know, there's a million ways to be fit. It doesn't have to be going to the gym and lifting heavy weights or doesn't have to be on a treadmill running. It can be team sports. It can be hiking in the mountains, can be cycling. There's so many different ways. So it's just finding those that you can incorporate into your routine, um, finding those where you're around like-minded people and, you know, doing it on a regular basis, making it a consistent thing that is just part of your lifestyle. Yeah. I think um, everything you just said is it's, it's so important because it's not like you have to do X, you have to do Y. It's it's what you enjoy doing. Because if you enjoy doing something, you're going to keep doing it for longer. And the sense of fulfillment, not a, a checklist item, right? That whole mindset switch. And I think people, if they live their life by that, not just thinking about health as uh, something they need to do, it's something you want to, you know, take a holistic view of, of everything you're doing from your job to just the way you cook your food or, or eat food or have relationships like is this really fulfilling? Because if it's not, you're going to be, you know, burning the candle probably at multiple ends and not going to be happy and not going to be waking up with vitality. And that's something I've found as well with a lot of people that are like, oh yeah, like, you know, we just don't have the motivation or something like that. I'm like, well, you just got to find something that you're passionate about and, and realize that we're meant to do this. But a lot of people just need to get the ball rolling. How do you you know, obviously you're high level, you've done high level athletic competitions and it can be very intimidating. You know, some of the things say you're doing on, on Instagram or, you know, competing, how do you market yourself to just, yeah, anybody who hasn't maybe worked out for, for years to kind of get into it? Yeah. I mean, I share my story when I was 28 years old, I had a little gut and I was partying hard and yeah. I was driving 50,000 miles a year. So I was sitting a lot and I was eating Subway and Pizza Hut. I didn't have much of an education around how food was going to affect my energy levels and my mental clarity. So I was just really going through the motions during that time period. And I hired a personal trainer. And, you know, I had some education around fitness, but certainly not 
CrossFit style training or, you know, percentage work for strength training or anaerobic conditioning versus aerobic conditioning. I didn't know any of those things. So I hired a personal trainer and through that personal trainer, it gave me the accountability. It gave me the structure and it gave me the knowledge I needed to get back into shape. So I spent a year and a half going four to five days per week, 30 to 45 minute sessions with him. And he had me doing CrossFit before CrossFit was really a thing. Um, I was doing complex lifts like squats, back squat, front squat, pressing movements, deadlifts. And then in between the sets, I would do like row intervals or I would run around a track. So I was lifting weights with my heart rate elevated, which is essentially what CrossFit is. Soon after a CrossFit gym opened near me, I tried that and just instantly fell in love with CrossFit. So that was probably 2009, 2010 when I went to my first CrossFit class. And then that showed me the community nature of of taking a class with other people. And all of a sudden that felt like high school sports again, where, you know, there's this friendly competition amongst everyone in, in the Metcon of the day. So I really enjoyed that. And then I got into triathlon and triathlon for me started with a sprint distance triathlon. And it was through a triathlon club in upstate New York. They would do a triathlon every Wednesday night. So I started signing up for these Wednesday night triathlons and Again, like the people help so much just being around others that are doing something similar. And when you see someone doing something at a high level where there's no major genetic component to it, all, you know, it's like, why can't I do that? And you just realize that anyone that has gotten to a high level at anything, it's generally compounding consistencies. They've spent 10,000 plus hours doing that. They put blinders on. They said no to a lot of distractions and they focused on one thing at a time. And that got them to where they were. So that really is what triathlon ultimately taught me getting to the Ironman world championships is I can be world-class at something. I can be world-class at almost anything. I just have to spend five years dedicating myself to doing that, which that's hard. Compounding consistencies for five years is the thing that most people don't want to do because we're inundated with distractions in today's day and age. We have so many options of different things we can do. And so, so many people have access to us, hitting us up to do different things. And there's so many career opportunities and we just get too distracted. So I always say less is more like focus on one thing at a time. Know that you're going to write a lot of chapters in life, but it's best if you just focus on one chapter at a time. Yeah, I think I realized that as well. Sometimes it's easy to bite off more than you can chew and, and be doing 10 different projects at once and being pulled in many different directions. But what I was going to ask is, do you think that competitive, you know, thirst that we have, especially as men, I think is really important to satisfy on like a regular basis? Because it's something that I realized I did a, just a trail race this year. Um, I didn't even train a lot for it, but it, it felt good to compete again, obviously younger when you're playing sports all the time, played sports in college, like, you know, that's all you're doing. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like, uh, you want to talk about a natural testosterone booster is probably just like competing. And mm -hmm. is that something you have thought about a lot and you think all men should really, and I'm not just, uh, so, so siloing this to just men, but I think it is even more important really for them. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a time and a place for competition with others. I certainly yeah. did that. You know, I would be mad if I lost a basketball game. I'd be stoked if I won a basketball game. In the triathlon years, I wanted to get to Kona. That's what I thought about all the time. And I wanted to win my age group. That's what I thought about with a lot of the training. You know, now training for me is much more about just progression. I mm -hmm. think progression is 
probably even more important than competing against others. Just feeling like you are incrementally pushing the ball forward as opposed to like, I want to make as much money as that person so I can have all of those things or I want to be as fast as that person. I think it's better just to focus on yourself, compete against yourself. And I think we all crave progression. Progression makes us feel like we're vibrant and we're alive. So that's what I look more towards now is I just want progression in various things I'm interested in progressing in. I think it's good. I think it's um, really important to just judge uh, your progression against yourself. But I also think when you're in a group of people, they do push you to do better. So it's like get competitive in a group, but like don't obviously don't be a sore loser and understand Mm -hmm. that, you know, if if someone who's been training for five years, you've been training for five weeks, like there's no competition there. Typically Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's compounding proof of work, like you just said. But that environment, that's what I've realized just here around Austin is uh is that contagious energy can really really push you to to the limit um so now you've been working out in this space really consciously i mean you did the triathlons you did crossfit hard what have you learned you know throughout this journey like what what have been your biggest gainers in terms of things you know now that are really beneficial for your health that you didn't you know prioritize you didn't think were as important um maybe in your early 30s when you're getting more into this yeah i mean i've learned so much so just to make it understandable, like I focused on one thing for each year over the last 15 years. So where I am today has been just a series of progression of each of those different things. I didn't try and tackle all of them at once. So for example, one year was just really focusing on sleep, dabbling with different pre-sleep routines. Mm. Um, One year was figuring out why I was running at a certain heart rate and biking at a certain heart rate, like understanding aerobic zone two training. Um, You know, the subsequent years closer to now have been more about strength training, just understanding percentages. Recovery was one of those things that, you know, I've spent years tinkering with to figure out what works for me for recovery. So I think it's important to focus on one of those each time and then, you know, building blocks after. So exercise was the top of the food chain for me. That really is what set everything else in motion. So, you know, getting that dialed in, understanding strength training, understanding aerobic conditioning, understanding aerobic conditioning, and understanding when to do each of those. What, during the Ironman years, I was way too far in one direction. I was very, very aerobically fit, but I could only back squat my body weight. I couldn't do that many pull-ups. I wasn't very strong. And I really ran myself into the ground during those years just with a high volume of running. And I didn't have exposure to the recovery routines that I do now back then. Towards the end of my Ironman years, I was starting to do infrared saunas, but... I didn't do any of the cold plunging I do now or the hot traditional saunas. I didn't have access to red light or laser therapy. Um, Didn't have access to Normatec boots or any of those things during that time period. So now I, I incorporate a lot of recovery into my routine so I can back up my effort day in and day out. But for a general wellness standpoint, I very rarely wake up feeling smashed. You know, generally I'm training to a capacity that It gives me the energy I want, the mental clarity I want, the emotional well-being, but I can back it up again the next day. So what that looks like for me now is about 90 minutes of strength training and anaerobic conditioning, gymnastics, accessory work in the morning. Keep in mind, I'm training to try and get to the CrossFit games in my age group. So, you know, this is going to be overkill for general wellness. 
Uh, and then I'll do about 60 to 90 minutes of aerobic training, generally low impact training in the afternoon. So for example, I just finished a 75 minute bike ride before I got here. And for me, that kind of helps flush everything out. It keeps the blood flowing so I don't get sore, stiff, achy. And again, I can back it up again the next day. For general wellness, what I generally preach is doing 45 to 60 minutes of strength training three to four days per week. And then on the off days, doing 45 to 60 minutes of aerobic conditioning, whatever you enjoy, pickleball, tennis, running, biking, rowing, swimming, could be any of those things. That's where I think you can have, you can have an incredible aesthetic. You're going to be energized from the workouts and it's really sustainable. But I think a lot of people get addicted to one side or the other. You get addicted to the heavy, heavy weights and all of the strength training, or you get addicted to just the anaerobic conditioning, but you neglect the zone two aerobic conditioning, or you're just addicted to the zone two training. You know, you're doing marathons and all ultra marathons and hundred mile races and you're neglecting the strength training. So yeah, I always caution people of if you're going to be world-class at something, it's probably not super healthy. There's not going to be a ton of longevity to it. Yeah. I was going to say, did you learn like over your years of training that like ultra marathons, like that distance of cardio is, you know, not the best for health long-term and then probably the same thing and like just committing to really, really heavy weight training. Like, do you feel better now kind of having your foot in each, in each uh, room? I for that? sure feel better now. And I, I'm so glad I had those Ironman years. I mean, again, it taught me that, you know, I could focus on one thing at a time that, you know, through compounding consistencies, I could be world-class at something. So I'm so glad I did it. And I'm not going to tell anyone not to do Leadville or not to do a hundred mile race or not to do a Moab 240. Like, I think there's a time and a place for that, but to get addicted to it and to do that for your entire life, I think you're going to really wear your body down if you're too far in one dimension. I feel better now. I mean, endurance sports are notorious for, you know, boosting your cortisol and sinking your testosterone, whereas that, you know, the heavy lifting and anaerobic conditioning generally much better for testosterone and yeah, yeah. your cortisol isn't as high. But again, I mean, there's high level CrossFit athletes that have horrible testosterone and well, high cortisol they, because they're training so much. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, did you, was there an inflection point during your Ironman days where you're just like, this is too much because it, it is easy to get addicted to that, I guess, runner's high, right? Yeah. I mean, I was waking up 2014, 2015, just feeling smashed every day hurt to go up and down my stairs. My lower back was always so tight that I rarely was flying on planes because I didn't want to sit in a seat like this for long periods of time. If I went out to dinner or lunch, I was sitting at a high top because, it, you know, my lower back was just always on fire from being bent over in that arrow position on the bike and compounding that with 60 miles of running every single week. So yeah, I felt really, really beat up during that time period. And it wasn't until 2017 when I started the recovery routine that I do now of contrast therapy, going from hot saunas or a hot tub into a cold plunge and doing multiple rounds of that, that I started to get back to feeling good again. And I'm like, oh, wow, I really was smashed during those years. And, you know, now I feel fresh again. And I'm not waking up feeling achy and I can sit in a normal chair again without my lower back being on fire. So, yeah, those years, and, and you don't really realize it when you're training at that level. You just think it's normal to be sore and achy all the time. So yeah, that, that was a major aha moment for me when I started doing the contrast therapy and a lot of those aches and pains started to go away. 
And giving up running, not running much more than 20 miles a week, that really helped me a ton. It's just so tough. If you're doing CrossFit and running 30 plus miles a week, it's just so much impact. I'm 43. You know, you can probably get away with it in your 20s and early 30s. But, you know, in my 40s now, I, I feel pretty smashed if I run much more than 20 miles a week and continue doing the CrossFit training that I'm doing now. Yeah, I bet. Is this what is your cold, hot therapy sessions look like? You're doing this pre-workout, post-workout, off days, all days. Let me through it. I do it every single day. So uh, around 5 p.m. That's just when it works with my schedule. That's when I can do it with others. When someone messages me on social media and wants to meet up, I invite them to come over and sauna. So that's where I take almost all of my meetings. And the typical routine is three rounds, about 20 minutes in a 200 degree sauna and three to five minutes in an ice barrel at 40 to 50 degrees. The temperature ranges just based on how much ice I got or how many people are going in and out of it when friends are coming over to do it with me. Um, that has just worked wonders for me. It's probably the most instrumental thing I've implemented into my routine in the last six years. It, and not only the physical benefits, like the mo mental benefits, the emotional benefits, the stress resilience benefits, the uh, building your immune system benefits. There's so many to it. And obviously there's science around it. And, yeah. you know, we can talk about that. But for me, all of these things are very feeling based. Like if I feel really good after doing something and there's no consequences from it, then I'm all in. I'm going to keep doing that. Whereas drugs and alcohol, like is the feeling good from it? Sure but there's massive consequences to it. So I look at a lot of the things I do is just that, like, am I going to feel good after? And are there going to be no consequences? And is there this snowball effect in the right direction from doing it? Like the contrast therapy, I'm going to sleep better at night. Um, you know, I'm burning more calories by doing it. So there's all of these compound benefits from doing it. And like during the Ironman years, I was abusing exercise. I was using exercise to continue, continually fuel my, my high fueling my energy, fueling my, my mental clarity, but like physically smashing myself into the ground. So now implementing this recovery routine, I get that same feeling, that same endorphin rush, but I feel re-energized afterwards. I feel refreshed afterwards. My nervous system feels replenished afterwards. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so great. I've done, well, I haven't done a ton of contrast, like directly like that since I've been in, in Europe, I've done in Austria right after skiing, uh, sauna into cold tub into sauna and then in Finland where you jump in like the freezing cold um, mm -hmm. lake the frozen lake and I mean yeah you just I don't think there's anything better than that and especially when the sauna's really cranked up mm -hmm. um, if you're a health conscious food consumer who's also very active you know how big of a struggle it is to find a bar that is both convenient and nutrient dense that's why I was so excited when I discovered the alpha bar the Alpha Bar is a meat-based bar that contains only simple ingredients, 100% grass-fed beef, tallow, and honey, and is both nutrient-dense and convenient and packs a caloric punch of over 300 calories. For me, this was a game-changer and is now the go-to snack and fuel source I use when I'm hiking, camping, hunting, skiing, or doing anything in the outdoors and I don't have the resources to cook a full meal. The Alpha Bar is made proudly in Colorado and only uses locally sourced meat. JJ and Rob are also extremely based and accept Bitcoin for payment. I highly recommend you check out the Alpha Bar for any time you need a nutrient-dense and convenient snack on the go. 
Check them out at eatalpha.com and use code DRADIO5 at checkout to get a 5% discount. And if you pay in Bitcoin, you can get an additional discount on top of that. That's eataupa.com and use code DRADIO5 at checkout. I can't wait to have that somewhere. Right now, I got a river and hot springs in Wyoming, which is pretty good. That's the best. You know, I mean, it's pretty damn good. But uh, I do like saunas better than the hot springs, I would say. They're kind of... uh, Not just hotter. Yeah, it's hotter, but... Yeah, it's uh, it's something that just like really is a staple, I think, for a lot of folks in the health mm-hmm. space now. And and I love it. And you talked about alcohol and drugs and it's like you're swapping, right? Like those things, uh, they make you feel good in the moment and they feel like shit afterwards, whereas cold and heat therapy or sauna, hot springs, they, uh, they're tough in the moment. But then afterwards, you feel incredible. And I think that's that mindset shift that a lot of people need to have to realize like a little bit of suffering is, is, is going to make you feel so much better afterwards. Can't agree more. I mean, I always talk about having a sauna on every street corner in America instead of a bar on every street corner in America. Um, I mean, for me, that's, that's my bonding time. That's, that's where I meet people. That's where I have flow state conversations with people. Um, that's where friends are introduced to other friends and new friends. So it scratches that same itch that you get with the bar. Like a bar is a social setting. Like you go there, you want to meet people, you want to hang with your buddies, you want to make some memories. And I found that you can have that even enhanced by doing it with contrast therapy. And I mean, you're completely present with the people you're with when you're in the sauna because your phone is going to overheat in three minutes. So, you know, there's that element to it as well, where you're not distracted. You're not distracted by big crowds. You're not distracted by loud music. You're just in this captive environment with your endorphins racing from the heat and the cold. And I've had some of the best conversations and formed some of the deepest bonds in saunas. And I mean, my favorite, favorite setting is a wood-burning sauna right next to a cold stream and going back and forth from the wood-burning sauna into that 34-degree moving stream. The moving water is tough. It's so tough. I love that. Yeah. Do you ban cell phones in your sauna at your house? Like it's not allowed? I don't ban them, but the sauna kind of bans them on their own because again, they're going to overheat in three minutes if you have it up by your face. Yeah. So we'll we'll bring phones in just to shoot a a quick video in there and to play music in there. But yeah, no one is generally on their phone when they're in the sauna. Well, that's why I I had to leave like the commercial gym space in Salt Lake City because you go into the sauna, people are playing music like that or they're on their phone, like literally talking to someone or there's, it's just, mm-hmm. it's not present really. And if you're doing something deliberate, that's totally different. But yeah, I, uh, I wasn't a fan of that, but the cold stream, yeah, the moving waters is really tough and, uh, I'm excited to go back. I haven't really gotten super cold. I jumped in the, the squash cold plunge yesterday. I was like, damn, this is uh, pretty cold. It's I'm, real cool. My cold tolerance is, is weak. <laughs> Have you noticed like how your cold tolerance has just skyrocketed from doing that? And I think you were jumping around in the snow before you came here in Colorado, right? (laughs) I was, yeah. Um, Yes, I have. And lately, my tolerance has gone down because I haven't been staying in as long. Um, We've just had so many people coming over to our house to do contrast therapy that, you know, I find myself like doing two, two and a half hours sometimes. So I'm just not sitting in as long. I'm kind of going in and out pretty frequently so I can withstand a couple hours of the contrast therapy just to continue these great conversations 
I'm, I'm having with people. But, um, 2019, 2020, 2021, I was really into it where I was sitting in Boulder Creek in the middle of winter for three to five minutes when it's 33 degrees and moving water. And I was doing regular, very cold ice baths. So you definitely develop a tolerance to both if you're doing them consistently. Um, I'll sometimes though, like take a little time off or I'll do a hot Epsom salt bath instead of a hot sauna because you do start to get acclimatized to it so that, you know, you have to stay in longer and it's nice to be able to not be super um, acclimatized to it so that you don't have to stay in as long and get those same benefits and the same feeling from it. Do you think there's like a transition that people should make with cold? Because it can be easy, I think, to, uh, you see Rogan, Goggins, Huberman, all these dudes like jumping in, you know, like us, like they're going in like 30 something degree tubs. And I think for people who probably aren't as healthy, it it could actually be like a bad idea for them to overdo it. Um, Have you experienced that or do you have any recommendations for how to people to build up to that maybe? Yeah. I mean, look at a marathon. You don't just run a marathon or, you know, a CrossFit workout. You don't just jump into some crazy CrossFit workout with no CrossFit background. So, I mean, cold exposure is the same in ways. I mean, can a newbie jump into a cold stream and be completely fine? Yes. But a newbie probably is going to get a hell of a lot colder, a lot quicker than someone who's been doing it for a while. So, you know, it really is just judging yourself when you start to shiver, like you got the benefits of the cold that could be 50 degree water for two minutes and you start shivering. Great. You got the benefits. And in a sauna, same thing. If it's a 180 and in 15 minutes you feel really uncomfortable and you're sweating profusely, you probably got some massive benefit from that. So it's really just figuring out on your own, like, when am I uncomfortable and when should I transition out of one and into the, into the next one? Um, Yeah. I mean, I've built up quite a heat tolerance because I do sauna a ton, uh, but my cold tolerance is down now. So I was in that same ice bath you were in today at Squatch and I was only in there for about a minute and I was pretty damn cold cold from it. It I mean, they they have six inches of ice in that and you check the temperature and it's like 32.1 degrees. It's really cold. Yeah, no, totally. I think, yeah, just use common sense. Anybody who's like trying to get into these things, especially if you don't have like if you don't have your health fully in uh, in grasp, it's uh, it's always good to build up with anything. But it's so easy to just be motivated and uh, jump into something overboard. Um, I'm curious. I mean, obviously, I, I just adding up how much time you're spending doing, you know, contrast therapy, two sessions of workouts, you know, building all these incredible brands. How do you manage your schedule effectively? And then how do you manage having a, a high quality sleep regimen? So, I mean, some of it is multitasking without multitasking, like the contrast therapy sessions are generally when I'm meeting new people or I'm having meetings with the founders of brands, the workouts, I'm generally shooting content around the workouts. So I'm satisfying various obligations I have with, with brand deals. I also look at a lot of what I do as leading to mental clarity leading to the opportunities that I'm able to generate with all of the people I'm meeting through workouts and contrast therapy. So much of this, there's, there's compounding benefits coming from it, but I time block. I've done this ever since I was running three businesses and training 20 hours per week in in the Ironman years, I had to figure out how to be really, really intentional with my time. So I block off certain times for workouts and I block off certain times for calls and podcasts, um, generally 8 a.m 
until 10 a.m. each morning is dedicated to training and shooting content. Um, before I wake up in the morning, I'm doing something cognitive that I probably won't be able to get to later in the day. So something where I have to focus on one thing for 20 plus minutes, 30 minutes, hour. Um, and then 10 a.m. until 1 p.m. is dedicated to calls, um, Instagram lives, uh, creating content, just getting work done. And then one until about 2.30 is dedicated towards being outside, doing something aerobic. And then 2.30 to 5-ish is dedicated to more dedicated work time. Um, five until 6.30, contrast therapy time. And then generally we're cooking at home in Colorado. Here in Austin, we've been going out to eat a ton. Um, but we'll generally go out to dinner with friends or I'll take meetings for dinner because I know I have to eat. Mm -hmm. So if someone wants to meet with me again, that's a great time where I can be intentional with, with that person. Um, and then get to bed around nine o'clock, sleeping by 9.45, wake up with no alarm around 5.30 to 6 and rinse and repeat day in and day out. But time blocking has been so, so crucial for me. Just setting out short periods of time to do certain things, knowing that the exercise is going to fuel energy and mental clarity to have three hours of really, really good cognition. And then as that cognition starts to fade, another workout, and then I know I'll be fueled again for another two or three hour work sprint. Yeah, it's so great because I've noticed the same thing. It's easy to get burned out. We're just staring at a screen for, I mean, even like two plus hours. If, mm -hmm. Then you go, you could even crank out like a hundred push-ups or just go for a quick run. And then you're kind of like refreshed and, and have a bit of spark. And yeah, are you eating like three meals a day or do you, how do you structure that within the routine as well? Yeah. So I don't eat anything before that first session. I'll yeah. have coffee, supplements, maybe some collagen powder. Um, but I don't have many calories in my system going into that first workout. Um, after the first workout, I'll generally either do eggs and some fruit or I'll do some kind of smoothie or smoothie bowl. I keep it pretty simple and pretty light. I don't offer myself lots of options because I feel like when you offer yourself lots of options, that's when you go off track. And also, like, I don't want decision making fatigue around yeah. food. I want to reserve my decision making power for you know, podcasts and creating content and conversations with founders of various brands. Um, and then after the afternoon workout, I'll generally do another meal pretty similar to that first meal. So either eggs and fruit and honey, or I'll do another smoothie or a smoothie bowl. And then dinner is when I consume a lot of calories. Dinner will be a big steak or, you know, a double smash burger, potatoes, rice, some kind of veggie. And then I'll snack on some almond butter, honey, and fruit at night before I go to bed. So again, I keep it really simple. We keep our pantry, you know, not stocked with too many things. I don't snack a ton. I might bring a bar with me or like a chomps beef stick on my bike ride so that I have some kind of fuel depending on how long that bike ride is. If I'm going above 90 minutes, then I'm generally going to be consuming something during that exercise session. But for the most part, I'm not snacking much throughout the day. Just kind of three square meals, coffee every morning. I love coffee and I love generally making my own coffee, making espresso first thing in the morning. But yeah, very simple. You know, I take supplements, but su supplements are icing on the cake. Yep. Um, I'm offered, you know, a lot of supplements. I have access okay. to a ton. Um, we get a million things shipped to us. But for me, like 
supplements I'm always going to be taking are creatine, some kind of multivitamin, something like an athletic greens, just to kind of check all of the boxes from a multivitamin standpoint. Um, I take Beam Dream every night, which is uh, nano CBD, uh, L-theanine, magnesium. I like magnesium a lot to calm my mind before bed. So I'll, I'll double up on magnesium. It also has some melatonin in it. Um, vitamin D, fish oils, pretty consistent with, but not as consistent as those others. And then other things I'll add in colostrum, collagen, um, and then everything else really just icing on the cake that I would be taking, you know, dialing in exercise, dialing in getting outside for aerobic activity, dialing in strength training, dialing in eating single ingredient foods. Like those are all going to be the 95% that really matter. Yeah, totally. I couldn't preach that enough. Um, I used to take a ton of supplements. I pretty much take none now because I just think the foundations are so important. You just mentioned there getting outside for, you know, aerobic exercise. Uh, that's something we talk about a ton on this podcast is the benefits of sunlight, getting outside, connecting to nature. Obviously, you seem like you do a lot of that. Is that been a more deliberate push as of late or have you always just been really trying to get outside as, as much as possible? I think I had my aha moment during the Ironman years with being outside, just all of the long bike rides and long runs. I realized that the high and presence when I was outside doing those things was far greater than when I was inside doing them. So yeah, I've now resorted to doing pretty much everything outside, even strength training. A lot of my strength training here at Squatch, they have, yeah. you know, an outdoor area. So I'm typically outside when I'm training, even when I'm on calls and podcasts, like a lot of the times um, on my phone outside, either walking or I'll just set it up on a high tripod and I'm standing outside taking calls. Um, oftentimes I'll do calls in saunas. I'll set the sauna at like 150 degrees and just be in that environment taking calls where there's light coming into the sauna, but I'm trying to get outside as often as possible because I always feel so much more energized outside. And another thing I like doing is skill-based activities with risk associated with them. So mountain biking for me is one of my favorite things in the world. And I've realized the high that I get from mountain biking is even more than the high I would get from road cycling because you have to be so in the moment when you're, when you're mountain biking, because there's risk associated and there's skill associated rock climbing, same thing. Even if my heart rate isn't super elevated from the exercise, like I am so present when I'm rock climbing because there's so much risk involved with it. So I love doing these risk-based activities with, with skill involved over non, uh, risk activities with no skill involved. So I, I agree. I think the neural proprioception there too. I mean, I get that from like skiing and, and hiking some, mm -hmm. you know, what people would say would be risky things. Um, mm -hmm. it's so fun. I haven't gotten mountain biking because I know I would love it too much and I don't, I just don't have time for mountain bike. I'm a stick to mountaineering, but it's so fun too. I just think it's more fun. And then you kind of like, you're a little scared in the moment and then you're like, yeah, that was badass like that. You know, you accomplished that or you went over some sketchy spot and yeah, I mean, it just comes back to having fun, I think, mm -hmm. while moving. But yeah, it's funny because so many people are told the opposite in terms of outdoors and well, people say go outside, but then they also tell you, I'm talking about the centralized like paradigm we live mm -hmm. in that the sun is bad for you, you know, put on mm -hmm. sunscreen, wear sunglasses all the time and you know, minimize sun exposure midday in the summer, but seems like anyone who actually does the opposite feels a lot better. So did you realize this after the fact, like you kind of just went off feel, it seems like, and have you discovered now that, you know, 
people are telling you like, yeah, that's actually proven or anything like that. I'm curious on your evolution there. Yeah. I really go more based on feel yeah. with what I'm doing. I mean, keep in mind that our, our society now, like we have to generate an income to survive, to have shelter and to have transportation and to put food on the table. So, you know, marketing is a big component of that. Oh, yeah. So there's going to be lots of people that develop things that are marketing. Some are great. Some might not be so great. So I, I think it's for each person to figure out on their own what really allows them to thrive. And for me, that is being outside often. I mean, I, I wear sunglasses if I'm biking. Like, I think there's some things that we've developed in modern society that allow us to do things better. Like, you know, if I'm getting wind in my eyes. Going well, I think 20, if you're biking, you have to. Yeah, skiing, exactly. I don't want bugs to. in my yeah. eye. Yeah. <laughs> but generally, I'm not wearing sunglasses. If I'm just driving in a car with a windshield or if I'm out talking on the phone, I'm not wearing sunglasses. So I do try to get sunlight through my eyes. But I think getting sunlight on your skin for me is super Super important. I mean, I feel so energized when I'm out there in nature and I mean, obviously you don't want to get burned, but yeah. I'm oftentimes in a forest mountain biking. So I'm kind of going in and out of shade, sunlight, shade, sunlight. So, you know, unless I'm in the desert where it's completely exposed, you know, I rarely am putting sunscreen on, but I'm also not getting burned, you know, I'm getting enough sun. So I get a little color on my skin, but I'm not out there just like laying in the sun for two hours to get completely burned either. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it because, you know, we, we've taken a deep dive into the science of all this stuff on this podcast and that's where I geek out. But, you know, you, you take this simple approach is like, yeah, I just do what makes me feel good. And then I just do that hard. Mm -hmm. And, but most people are so disconnected. They're like, you know, not even, they're afraid to take that first step. And there's so much social programming. And like you said, you know, marketing out there, it's, it's tough, but you know, give this a shot and then you'll see how you feel, right? Like you're not going to know until you try it. So it's, uh, yeah, the outdoors for me is, is so huge and, um, I'm excited to, you know, have the winter, but then the summers and the mountains are, are special. How, how do you feel like in the mountains compared? I mean, you grew up in upstate New York. I grew up in New Jersey. I went to school in Rochester actually. So not, uh, probably too far away from you, but I came out West to the mountains and, you know, it's hard to leave an area like that. And I'm um, curious your perspective on, on being out in nature, like really out there. Yeah. I mean, the first time I went to Colorado back in 2017, I just felt so alive. The views were so vast, the beautiful, you know, I feel like in a major city, the beauty is all created, you know, the branding, the signage, and it's cool. Like I love Austin. I love the branding in Austin, but it was so different for me to go to a place where the beauty is just nature, the views that you're looking at, the vistas, the, you know, fall colors, the ice on rivers, the snow, like all of that is just so beautiful. And it just, it feels so primal to be out there playing in it. So yeah, the mountains for me are my favorite place in the world to be. Um, I don't surf. I don't do a lot of water sports. So, you know, I think the ocean is equally amazing and equally as beautiful, but I do so much more in the mountains from trail running to mountain biking to last year, I bought a fat tire bike, which is really fun in the wintertime, riding that nice. through hard packed snow. 
So yeah, I mean, I'm outside every single day and I feel so alive after those, those workouts outdoors. And it just makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint that, you know, we've created in our modern society, all of these indoor entertainment things and be sure some of them are very fun, but I think we were truly meant to thrive when we're moving and when we're exposed to difficult conditions and we have to run from something and we have to lift something heavy and we're out in the sun, this major energy source. So I think that's why evolutionarily wise, we, we thrive when we're outside often. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a coincidence and you think of just the last, I don't know, hundred years uh, compared to the previous, however, I mean, pre-humans, maybe even a million, two million years. And it's, uh, you know, this is a split second in the time span where we were so connected to nature all the time. And I personally think that's the biggest detriment in terms of health of society right now. It's just how disconnected everybody is, whether that's from food, whether that's from sunlight, whether that's from connecting physically to the earth. Um, it's all of the things. And um, now you just feel good too when you go outside, right? Like you feel more energized, but you also feel happy and fulfilled. It's something that you kind of, it takes a new perspective of life. Like you're like, wow, you know, how grateful am I to be in this beautiful world? And there's even studies that show like just being in a forest, like the smells, the aromas are lighting up our brain and things like that. And it's, uh, it's really cool to me. And I just realized as well, like I had one to make concussions five years ago. And then I realized the more time I spent in nature, the better I felt. And now I'm diving into the science about why that's true. But mm. again, you don't need to know the science, like just go outside and embrace it and guarantee you'll feel better. Mm-hmm. Can't agree more. Movement is medicine is my moniker that I live by, you know, outside moving, moving and, off. Yeah. And it's compounding, right? It's mm-hmm. like, Hey, I only have two hours a day to do something and I can't get outside and then I can't exercise outside that then do both at the same time. And then mm-hmm. you're even doing more. You're taking meetings and doing that, doing that. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. So I want to get into more of the entrepreneurial side of things now, because yeah, it's incredible. You've help build all these brands, you know, 10,000, the ice barrel. I mean, I think 10,000 was the first one that I really saw you on. I was like, damn, this guy's doing some cool stuff, rucking and, mm-hmm. you know, just doing badass stuff in the mountains. And, um, yeah. How did you kind of get into that? Was that always something that you wanted to do? You wanted to be an entrepreneur or did that kind of align after, you know, certain periods of athletics, like Ironman, when you realized, Hey, I could be on the front line of creating the next generation of good products in terms of the health and wellness space. Mm-hmm. So I've always been entrepreneurial. I mean, the day I graduated from college, I started taking the property and casualty insurance exam in New York and got my license and went door to door for seven years, selling insurance to campgrounds and marinas. So, you know, I developed a thick skin and I also learned during that time period to like focus on one thing at a time and to specialize in a certain niche and to be memorable within that niche. So I've carried that over time and time again with each subsequent business. Um, my second business was a software company 2010 until 2014. I was a partner in a company called Rounded. We were building mobile applications early in the app revolution and partnered with some incredibly talented Syracuse University students who were doing a lot of the design and coding. And then 
2013, I opened a gym in upstate New York called Urban Life Athletics. Through that gym, I met my business partner in several restaurants that I co-founded, which were essentially experiences that I had had at restaurants in LA and New York City that I wanted to bring to Syracuse, New York. So together we conceptualized them. Um, they're called Original Grain and Exo Taco. And I just, with each business, they became more and more passion projects and doing business with friends, doing business with people I really wanted to be around. And I wanted it to be a friendship as much as I wanted it to be a business relationship. Through Ironman, started developing a following on social media, just sharing all of the content around how I was training and eating and recovering and how I, how I was balancing that with managing multiple businesses during that time period. And, you know, over time, I realized I could offer so much more to brands that were reaching out to me saying, hey, can you post this picture and we'll pay you a hundred bucks? And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'll definitely do that. But I feel like I can offer a hell of a lot more. And it really clicked for me. Honestly, it clicked when I was on a hike in Colorado. I have my best ideas when, you know, I'm in the mountains oh, yeah. or running along the ocean. So I'm at uh, the summit of a mountain in Colorado and I messaged a friend in upstate New York who had recently left men's health and was starting his own PR agency, messaged him and said, Hey, you know, I know that you're just doing PR right now, but would you be interested in representing me as talent, you know, as this content creator and consultant for brands? I think I can bring you a bunch of business because all of these brands reaching out to me need PR. And I think you can help me kind of negotiate deals because I have no idea what my value is yep. in working with these different brands that are reaching out. You know, this was early in the, in, in the heyday of influencer marketing in like 2017. So, you know, he started representing me and just put a value on me that is much higher than I would have ever put the value on myself. And over the last five years, they've really turned into more consulting type agreements where I'm helping these brands build out ambassador programs. I'm helping them raise money. Most of the brands I'm working with, I've invested money in. Um, I'm introducing them to friends similar to me, thought leaders, influencers, um, wellness creators in this same space. Um, I'm connecting people behind the scenes all day long. I love connecting people. I've always loved connecting people. So I'm just kind of playing matchmaker with, I think this person could add value for this person and, you know, two way street where that person will add value for that person. And then tons of events, putting on events at this point, pretty much every single day, pickleball tournaments and rocks and workouts and contrast therapy at our house, which has just kind of, be, you know, become this open invite, like come over and just sauna with whoever's here at the house tonight and, you know, take a swag bag. You'll get to try all of these cool new brands I'm, I'm working with. Um, and I've always been a whore for good marketing. Like I love marketing. I love cool branding. I love entrepreneurship. So, you know, I really, really get along with entrepreneurs really well. So I like just playing in that pond with creators, people that are, you know, thinking five, 10 years ahead and creating products to, you know, solve those problems that kind of mainstream America is going to be exposed to five years from now, like HVMN and ketones. I think that's an amazing product. It's still, you know, the early adopters and the endurance athletes that are using it. But, you know, five, 10 years from now, I think that replaces five hour energy and that's in every single gas station across the country. So those are the type of brands I like working with where I just feel like the 
The, the operator is an incredible operator. He's built an amazing team. I love the product. I feel like I can add a ton of ROI for an early stage company with, you know, exposing them to my audience, but also introducing them to other people that have audiences. And then just like guerrilla marketing, tons of in-person events where we're literally getting product in people's mouths by, you know, sharing it in these community workout settings. So yeah, that formula has worked over and over again for all of the brands that that I work with. Well, you had a lot of key points in there that I think is important takeaways if you do want to start a business and that's, you know, passion projects, um, believing in a product. Something I've realized is that I have no point of starting a business or going into business with someone if I'm not going to actually believe in the product mm -hmm. like myself, because if I'm not going to use it, if I don't see the value in it, you know, I'm going to do a shit job at marketing it. And then, yeah, going into business with your friends or like-minded individuals. I think that's a fantastic and probably under-discussed aspect of it because people often, you know, talk about how business can ruin friendships. But if you have the right bond, the right people, you know, you can go so much further together. And then the connection piece is, yeah, connecting the network, I guess, the greater network. You're, you're so much better um, together. And it's even though it might seem like a competition. There's so much market space. Like we're such a small, like you're talking five hour energy, you know, even if you have a couple ketone brands, you know, that you guys are peanuts compared to the big boys in the centralized world. Mm -hmm. So if someone is starting, you know, a business, say in the health and wellness space, yeah, what are some recommended tips to kind of just get off the ground, do you think? Mm -hmm. Go narrow and deep, you know, be known for something, start really, really niche and solve one, you know, one audience's problem. So ketones, for example, they were developed for special forces. And now, you know, a lot of elite endurance athletes are taking them. And eventually, you know, I think they're going to be that five hour energy that's mm -hmm. at convenience stores, but they didn't go after that market first. They focused on one market, solved that problem, and then moved on to a next market. And that way word spreads rapidly amongst that audience. So I think that's something I've learned along the way is just like understand who your audience is and really make something that solves their problems. Um, be memorable. You know, that is something that I always talk about. Be super, super memorable. Like our homes set up as these uh, community social wellness houses. It's memorable. Someone comes over to our house, they get to meet a bunch of people. They have this amazing contrast therapy session. They leave with a swag bag, all of these new brands, new friends, like that's super memorable. And, you know, having now done this for 15 years, I realized that like occupying a really, really small fraction of a lot of people's minds generates so many opportunities back to you. I mean, I literally get 50 to 100 text messages a day now with people just saying, hey, like someone just said they met you or, hey, I just met up with the founder of a brand in New York City. You know, would you mind if I introduced them to you? Hey, thinking about buying an ice barrel today. Hey, do you know this person at HVMN? Like, just a message all the time because I've said yes to so many people and added like just a little bit of value for so many people that that ends up coming back to you. So that's why I say yes to, you know, doing podcasts and yes to people that message me on social media to come over in saunas. You know, I know that that leaves this little memorable impression in their head that generates massive opportunities and I'm not doing it with intention. I just know that over time, if you do that enough, like it's going to come back to you. It's going to create massive opportunities for you and you're not going to have to chase things. Yeah. I mean, it's spot on. And sometimes I can be in that camp where it's like, oh, you know, it can be overwhelming to keep up with it. I'm, I'm curious how you, how do you manage it? 
I mean, setting, setting boundaries around it. Like I know that for me, I'll be intentional with people when I'm on their podcast. I'll be intentional with people when they come over and sauna, but I'm not so intentional with people when I'm working out at 8am. Like that's my workout where I want to progress in CrossFit. Mm -hmm. I want to get to the CrossFit games in my age group. So, you know, I'll work out with close friends or if someone messages me, I'm like, you can come work out with us. Like I'll send you the program I'm doing, but I kind of do my own thing. Like don't expect me to be conversing with you the entire time. That's not my intention with the morning workout. But if you want to come over and sauna at 5 p.m., we'll have a great conversation and I'll be completely intentional with giving you all of my energy. Um, I mean, I'm fortunate that I have a following on social media that was built through sharing my life and sharing things I do. So the majority of the people that reach out to me are just like-minded people. I don't have it from fame or being on some TV show or any kind of massive accolades. It's really just from, you know, sharing my story. So the majority of the people that message me, I'm like, I want to meet them. I want to hang out with you because we're like-minded people. And, you know, you're looking into getting into cold exposure. Like, let's, let's chat about it. Come over and do it. Like I'll show you what it's like so that you can adopt it and you can continue sharing that message of things that I think benefit us so much. But yeah, it's just being intentional with it. Again, time blocking, having certain times for when you're going to take calls, when you're going to say yes to things. And I also kind of go through like this roller coaster ride of like I'm grinding, I'm executing, I'm focusing on something I want to build or a period in time where I'm just kind of collecting dots. I'm meeting lots of people. I'm saying yes to lots of things. I'm going to places where chance encounters can occur. And I know that that's just a dot collection phase so that eventually I can make something of all those dots and form something from it. Yeah. There's some cyclicality, seasonality of our, even our, how we live our daily lives, isn't there? I've, I've been thinking a lot more about that and leaning into it and embracing that instead of like trying to fight it, I think is a, is a good way. For sure. And I, I keep like a VIP list. I've talked yeah, about this on social right. media. So I have a list of people where I have regular reoccurring conversations set up. And these are generally people who are in other cities, friends in LA, friends in New York, um, friends back from Syracuse, friends in Miami, people that I'm not seeing often. But every single time I talk to them, we add so much value to each other that like I want that person on my radar all the time. So I just keep these re- reoccurring calendar appointments in my calendar with those people. I love it. I saw you post about that. I was like, as someone who probably talks to a lot of people, it's probably even more so important. In the health and wellness space, do you think it's, um, you know, how is the market right now? You think it's become overcrowded with like new products, things like that? What's what's the outlook and maybe what what's something you're really excited about or problem that you think will be solved relatively soon? That's a big one. Yeah, I think that it's overcrowded in certain aspects and undercrowded in other aspects. I mean, I think one of the big trends is this social component to wellness. You see this in Austin, Texas, where the gyms in Austin, they're very, very social oriented to the point where collective calls themselves a social wellness club. So I think that is a major, major trend going forward. And I think that's one of the most overlooked wellness behaviors is meeting people. Yeah, Yeah. community, feeling like you're part of something. So the wellness establishments that are opening in the future, I always recommend like, hey, build a big sauna, build cold plunges, have open gym all the time, allow for chance encounters to happen with your members. So it turns into this social wellness club. I think that's a big one. I mean, I think the biggest one that probably will be solved in the next five or 10 years is you know, having some kind of wearable that is tracking everything that's going on 
underneath the hood. So something that's tracking your testosterone, your cortisol levels. Hey, Eric, you're deficient in vitamin D right now. Hey, Eric, you have too much iron. Hey, Eric, you've overtrained because your cortisol levels are this high and your testosterone has dipped the last month. So, you know, I think we'll have like a continuous glucose monitor, but it's going to be monitoring our blood and it's going to be telling us what biomarkers are going on based on our lifestyle choices. So, you know, you eat a meal it instantly is like, hey, you're sensitive to sweet potato. Don't do that again. <laughs> Are you looking to get the benefits of grounding and earthing, but really just can't be barefoot all the time? Yes, you know what I'm talking about, right? Absorbing free electrons from the earth, improving your circadian rhythm and blood flow and vitality and redox. And that is why I'm excited that this show is brought to you by Rizal Shoes. Rizal Shoes are, in my awareness, the only non-sandal grounded shoes. They have slip-ons and they have cool boots as well with laces that are not only grounded via a copper plug, but have leather outsoles made with water buffalo hide. So they're all natural. They are grounded and they're barefoot and minimalist with a wide toe box. This is imperative for foot health and it's really going to keep you connected in a modern lifestyle setting so you don't have to walk around barefoot all the time. I love them in the winter time. I can wear socks with my slip-ons and not be freezing cold trying to be grounding. You need to check them out, folks. Rizal Shoes, R-H-I-Z-A-L dot C-O. Rizal.co is their website. Use code DRADIO at checkout for 10% off and get your shoes, get grounded, get connected, and improve your health. Do you think that's there's a point where too much information is a bad thing? Because I've gone on this personal journey where I used to wear the aura ring. I was really obsessed with, you know, the score, the sleep quality. And I kind of just realized that, you know, it was dictating how my day was going. And, you know, obviously the, the HRV and the HR um, data from that is very, very accurate. Maybe sleep data, you could debate how accurate it is. But I, I started feeling a lot better when I wore it less or I paid attention to it less because I just wasn't, it wasn't dictating how I felt about my day. Mm -hmm. And I kind of fear that, yeah, a lot of people base things on, yeah, a number, a whoop or a score or a score and uh, biometrics are fantastic, but I, I could see them as like a tool. It's something like that could be like amazing for someone who's trying to get healthier. And then maybe when they get there, they don't need to wear it anymore. I'd imagine something like that would be very expensive too. So I'm curious your opinion on something like that. I mean, I think some of these things are great because they are reinforcing behaviors oftentimes. You know, a whoop, for example, you're wearing it. Oftentimes you're going to be more cognizant about moving because you want to hit your step goal. So I think in that way, it's great. I think the sleep tracking for the most part is great because it's allowing you to be cognizant of like, hey, I want to get my seven hours of sleep. I want to fill that ring in. You know, I want to get the eight hours that I was intentional about and having a reminder of, hey, it's 840. You should start winding down for bed, you know, like have your sleep supplement, turn your temperature down. Like, I think there's more things that these apps could do that give you various behaviors that, you know, we've learned over time that aid in sleep or aid in movement. So I think they could be better in giving us better data and not just like giving us a score, but actually yeah. saying like, hey, it's time to turn your temperature down. Hey, it's time to stop watching TV. Hey, it's don't don't go out late at night because highly stimulating environments late at night are going to affect your circadian rhythm. So I think they can be better with some of those things. I Again, I think the holy grail is when we have something that is literally reading our biomarkers. 
matters, then we really understand what's going on underneath the hood because someone could get a great night's sleep and get a great sleep score, but their testosterone might be 194. And that's going to massively affect whether or not they have energy and mental clarity and whether they're really going to be sleeping great, you know, over a long period of time. And it's going to tell them like, hey, you got to change some lifestyle behaviors because this isn't good for the long term. <laughs> you know, this is going to have massive effects with your health span and your lifespan. So some of it's good. You know, I think we've created a lot of amazing things in our society that are allowing us to live healthier, longer, more vibrant lives. But we also have to be cognizant, again, of marketing. <laughs> like yes. every, pretty much every person in this, in this world now is selling themselves. They have to because they have to generate income to support their family, their lifestyle and various activities they want to do. Me being one of them. I mean, we're all selling and marketing whether we know it or not. You know, if you're getting a job, you're selling yourself to get that job with someone. So I get it and I'm not knocking any of those companies for marketing. It's just part of what we've created because money is such an important part of how we have to live our lives in today's day and age. But just don't discount how we evolve. Don't discount that we need to be outside. We need to be moving. We need to be exerting ourselves. We need to be exposed to the elements. You know, all of these things that are just built into our DNA are really going to allow you to thrive. And some of them you have to, you have to be cognizant of being deliberate about putting them back into your lives because it's too easy to put a coat on. It's too easy to crank your air conditioning. It's really easy for us to be super comfortable in today's day and age. I love that. It's so true. And it, you do have to be very deliberate. And yeah, the bio trackers, I think they, they'll have a place, especially, I think it would be cool just because things like testosterone, you know, keep mentioning that that fluctuates like so much. So like actually if you go to a blood test for a lab, you know, that's like a picture in time. Mm -hmm. What happened right 10 minutes later? What happened an hour mm -hmm. later? And that could be really cool for that, I think for sure. I just like to, you know, paint that perspective. I think it can be really helpful for people who need to get a kickstart, need to get that going. Mm -hmm. But everything you just said about being deliberate, it's fucking hard in mm -hmm. 2023. Like if you just do the average nine to five program, like lifestyle, go to high school, go to college, get a job, like you're probably not going to be doing too hot unless you're very, very deliberate about it. And that's why I think the community piece is so huge because then those people can uplift you and then you, you know, it can be very isolating depending what friend group you came from mm -hmm. to uh, be deliberate about it. You know, I'm, Definitely guilty of being the the biggest weirdo in my friend group, my family, and you know pursuing all these things. And then you come here, you're like, oh, you know, just one of the other, you know, tens of hundreds of people doing the same thing. And then you just feel like, you know, you know this this is the right movement. This is strong, and we are going to be the ones that you know are going to win at the end and really uh, supply support the next generation um, to make the the world a better place. And Maybe I wanted to ask, you know, your training in general about health, you're in your forties. Do you start thinking more about longevity over performance? Like how, how has that evolved? Cause you're still training for CrossFit. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know folks like, like Ben Greenfield the last few years, I used to follow him hardcore, not so much anymore, but you know, they start to get really focused in on longevity kind of as they get older, mm -hmm. has that come across your play, you think more about that in general, just being able to perform for longer as opposed to maybe max performance in the moment? I think more about doing things that make me feel good with no consequences. That's really what I'm thinking about day in and day out. And I think that will lead to longevity and health span. 
Um, so yeah, I'm not trying to pound myself into the ground anymore. I'm not thinking about the CrossFit games today when I was training here at Squatch. If it gets me there, great. I would be stoked to be there, but I'm not thinking about it. Like I used to think about getting to Kona in the Ironman years. I'm training in a way that allows me to be the best version of myself and just have lots of energy throughout the day, lots of mental clarity, um, and then get a great night's sleep, rinse and repeat, do it again the next day and not feel smashed. The only times I ever really feel smashed are when I compete, <laughs> if I do a High Rocks event, um, if if I do Leadville each year. But I, I like to look at those things as these obstacles that I wouldn't put into my life naturally. So I like having some of those obstacles where it's going to force me to level up a bit. It's scary. Oh, yeah. Like I got to backtrack my way into it, but I'm generally not overtraining to get there. Like I'm not going to Leadville mountain bike to win the race. I'm going to see if I can get under nine hours. And that's very different than going sub six hours at Leadville. So um, for me, it's much more about how, what can I do today to feel amazing with no consequences? And if I can back that up day in and day out, if history repeats itself, hopefully at 60, I'll be doing this exact same thing. At 70, hopefully I'm doing some variation of this exact same thing. How do you think about aging in a modern context? Because um, you're kind of already defying the... Uh the programmed uh, perspective where, you know, everything's downhill after 40. I th obviously, I think that's all bullshit. You probably think that's all nonsense as well. Um, yeah. So how do you think, you know, someone who is taking care of themselves and staying active and living the right lifestyle should, you know, be at 60, 70? Yeah. I mean, it's a fact that we're going to degrade over time. It's just a matter of fact. So um, am I degrading some? Probably. Do I feel the best I've ever felt at 43? Yeah. Am I the strongest I've ever been at 43? Yeah. Am I mo the most anaerobically fit? Probably not. Am I the most aerobically fit? Not anymore. I was during the Ironman years. I was super aerobically fit. But there's certain things that, yeah, they're, they're peaking right now at 43. I think the reason why so many say it's all downhill after 30, after 40, after 50 is because we accumulate these glass balls that you know, we can't drop. We have a family, we have mortgages, we have car payments, you know, we're working long hours. So exercise goes by the wayside, you know, sleep goes by the wayside, eating a healthy, balanced, single food ingredient diet goes by the wayside. So I think it's honestly more of that that starts to go away and we're less focused on our health and we're focused about providing for others, which again, I can't knock people for doing that. I completely understand that. But if you can incorporate that 45 minutes of strength training and anaerobic conditioning four days per week into your routine, and then two to three days, 45 to 60 minutes of aerobic exercise, I think you can maintain wellness at to a very, very late age. I mean, I know 50 year olds that crush me mountain biking that, you know, they beat me at Leadville. There's some 60 year olds that are still really damn strong and really damn fit. I mean, you watch some of those 60 year olds at the CrossFit games, they're doing bar muscle ups and they're snatching and they're doing, they're doing crazy stuff that you wouldn't think a 60 year old could do. Now, do you think that is conducive though to longevity? Um, and I guess your definition of longevity or any definition of longevity would be, you know, important. But overall, like doing that intensive stuff in your 60s, is that going to help you live longer into your 80s, 90s? Because that's a that's a big debate as well. Yeah, I would agree. Again, being world class at anything is not favorable. 
<laughs> you're yeah. probably too far in one dimension. So probably not for longevity. I think again, you know, 45 to 60 minutes at my age, you know, I, I'm not going to speak for a 60 year old cause I'm not 60. I haven't done this at 60, but I can tell you at 43 that I think if I wanted to have the healthiest, longest life, if that was my sole goal, then I'd probably do 45 minutes of, of exercise a day and be you know done with it. Do my recovery routine, get eight plus hours of sleep, eat single ingredient foods, and you're probably going to have a pretty amazing life as long as you don't get hit by a car or you know all of these other things that can happen in life, some rare disease. All of these things are risks that all of us face that we don't have a ton of control over. Um, so yeah, from a general well-being standpoint, being world-class, for too long at anything is not going to serve you well for longevity. But I do think that if you become world-class at something for a period of time, you're going to create these habits in your life yeah. that are going to help tremendously with your health span and lifespan. And also just like being surrounded by amazing people, doing what you enjoy doing every single day, eliminating a lot of stressors from your life, that also is going to lead to longevity. I mean, you look at these blue zone countries, you look at Finland, the happiest country in the world, a lot of what their happiness and longevity is based around is they have deep bonds with close friends. Yeah. I think those are the takeaways from like the blue zones, not all the other nonsense they talk about, but it's, uh, it's so true. It's like, what is longevity? Is it just a number? Is it Actually, the way I think about it is I just want to do the things I love with the people I love for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, you know, maybe hiking a mountain. And I want to do that with my children someday. I want to do that with my grandkids. I want to do that with people way younger than me. When I'm way older, I want to do that with people with, that are older than me now. I think that's really what it's about. And that can conflate kind of what you do. And I think this modern, you know, where we live in, people just think like they're, they have to go to the gym or, and then that relationship is, is just severed. And then they suffer kind of this victim mentality. How do you think about improving people's relationships with, you know, their personal responsibility of, of wanting to prioritize these things in their life? So, I mean, I think the, the wealthiest you can be is just racking up perfect days. I think that answers your question of like health span and lifespan. Yeah. Like he or she who dies with the most perfect days, they won. That's really what it's all about. So if you can figure out how to design your perfect day, I think that is really the holy grail. And if you can just continue replicating that, and obviously part of the perfect day is having enough financial freedom that, you know, money isn't a big, a big mm -hmm. stressor. You know, for me, perfect days are built around wellness and the people I'm around, community, exploring new places. Um, so I think that is, that's what people need to figure out is like, what is your perfect day? How, how can I get to my perfect day? Who are the people I want to be around? Where are the places I want to be? What are the activities I want to be doing? What are the environments that allow me to thrive? Like writing all of those down and then doing the same for all of those things that detract energy from, from you, all of the people that detract energy, the activities where you're wishing you were doing something else, the environments where you're wishing you were somewhere else like writing all those things and just over time, slowly like eliminating all of those negative things and trying to build your life around all of those positive things and then building businesses around all of those things where you feel like you're adding value and getting value and you're just completely present. It's so funny. I, I podcasted with Brian Sanders earlier today and he said the same thing. He's like, well, let's build your perfect Wednesday. And mm -hmm. then that's like what you want to work towards. And mm -hmm. 
Oh, it's so it's so true. And I think a lot of people I realize personally through my journey is that a lot of people can get caught up in these short term goals like, oh, I want to bench like 200 pounds. Or I want to do this or run this or lose X pounds. I think that's less important than a perfect day vision or the long term vision. It's like, what do you want to your life to look like in five years mm-hmm. or in 10 years or even in two years? Because if you have some clarity in the long term, the short term goals or path will will find its way there. And then you always keep that in the back of your mind. So I I, I love the perfect day analogy. I, I think it's spot on. It sounds like you're racking them up here, man. So it's an inspiration. The last question I have is what's something that you've added to your routine or made a noticeable difference in your life, maybe more recently, the past one to two years that is kind of like a staple now. It could be anything. It could be an, just the way you do things, you know, the way you interact with people, a supplement, food, you know, going outside more, red light, what have you. Yeah, I'll give you two things. So one of them was designing our place to host. That has been so, so beneficial for happiness, um, for oppor- attracting opportunities easily into into my life is just Sarah and I setting up our homes to be these amazing hosting oases. Um, and then the second would be a gratitude jar. We did a gratitude mm-hmm. jar last year and the year before doing it again this year. And A, it's a great way to, you know, end your day and to also allow like friends, family over to write in the gratitude jar and put it in there. Just like, what were you grateful for that day? But at the end of the year, we read all of those notes and it's a reminder of what really matters. You know, the people that really matter to us, what we're doing that really matters to us, the trips we went on that really matter to us. And again, a reminder of like, okay, this is how I want my life to be next year. I want to build it around these things that we wrote out that we were super grateful on a day in and day out basis. And a lot of them turn out to be pretty damn simple. I love that so much. I love your story. love your, your Instagram, your social media. It's so energetic. And yeah, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, Tristan. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time.